I really wanted to work into this sermon a little detail about the little tidbit about the Messiah having killer breath, but I had to cut that, so I'll just draw your attention to it now for your own humor and enjoyment. One of the things I want to start with, though, is just reflecting for a moment on, let's see how you hear this, the joy of home ownership. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say to me a sentence about the joy of home ownership without it being something that they were lamenting. But, you know, I, I do enjoy most of what it is to, to own a home. You all get to come to our home this evening if you want to for the, for the Christmas party. And one of the joys of home ownership, I think, is having trees. And you can hear that in any number of ways. I love trees. I, I have a, a, we have a number of trees in our yard for, for, for where we are, and I, I love lots of things. I love the atmosphere that they provide. I love that, that they sort of can block out the sunlight and create these nice spaces in the, in the spring and summer to read and drink coffee outside, and they, they block the direct sunlight through some of our, through some of our windows, and they lower the heat in the house, and, and uh, the air conditioning bill, these are all great things. Right? The joys of home ownership. The joys of home ownership with trees also, though, include at some point the fact that you've got to take care of them one way or another. We have lots of trees to take care of, and over the years there are, have been trees that we have um, wished we'd kept but had to lose. Uh, some we'd like to keep and never lose, and others we tried to lose but haven't tried hard enough because they just keep growing and growing and growing. And I think these trees may help us get our minds and imaginations wrapped around this image in Isaiah's prophetic poem here. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. So there's this one tree in our front yard that when we moved in several years ago, it was kind of like bush height. It was, it was like window height. And it was kind of a nice accent on the corner of the house. And, and it wouldn't look bad there. It was fine there. We, we, we liked it there. Um, but over the years, you know, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And the more it grew, the, the less we kind of liked it there. And also there was this, this, this line coming from a pole across the street, and the, the tree began to push up and around that pole, and we, we didn't know what it was. We thought it might be an electric line, so that needed to be cut down, though uh, Brad Peck and his crew were um, painting the house later and said, no, it's fine. They cut it, and we knew it was fine. Um, and so we're one of the only houses on the street that doesn't have that kind of hanging out right there. It was some kind of former cable line. Who knew? Brad did, so he cut the line. But, but, but the tree had been coming up around that line, and so we knew that the tree needed to, to come down. And so we did get it cut down. It got cut down, but not all the way down. Because the resources that were needed there to cut it all the way down, you know, to grind it down into a stump or to, 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 to uproot it, they weren't there at that time. So it just kind of mostly came down and left a little stump there. And that was fine, but every spring and summer, new shoots and branches grow out of it. They sprout leaves and it begins to look like a kind of a malformed bush that I let go through a few mows and then I have to cut it back, but I've never ground it down. 
And that's sort of like the image of Isaiah's shoot growing up from a stump and branches growing out of roots that we see here. Sort of, but not quite. Not quite because the thing in front of our house grows often enough that you expect it's going to keep growing. Every year, every spring, every summer, it's going to keep growing. There's going to be something I'm going to have to do. No matter what I do to cut it down, it's going to keep coming back. So it doesn't give us a complete image of the sense of what Isaiah is trying to get us to feel here in this picture in Isaiah 11. So there's this other tree in my backyard, but you won't see it if you come over uh, for the Christmas party. You notice how I'm like advertising things while I'm preaching. You won't see it if you come over to the Christmas party tonight from 6 to 8 at our house. Um, but it used to be in my backyard. And that may help us with this image as well. Because for years, arborists would come over and we need to have the trees looked at or evaluated or cut. And they would give different estimates and, and evaluations. And at some point in their work of evaluation, every single one would find themselves lost in a gaze looking at this one tree. And we'd come over to check to see what the problem was or what needed to happen. And, and, and every single arborist would say, that is the biggest, oldest ash tree I have ever seen in my life. Which is saying a lot, because that's what they do for a living. So we're really proud of that tree. And it provided a lot of beauty and um, a, a, lot of, a lot of shade. And we, we never wanted to lose that tree. But as some of you may know, a few years ago, there was this ash borer pest that was moving across the country. Some of you may have known about this as it was happening. Thank you so much for telling us when you found out. We found out about it, but we found out about it about two years too late. These ash borer pests are moving across the country, causing millions and billions of dollars of damage to ash trees and other things like this. And they, they snuck in, to borrow Jesus' language, like a thief in the night. And they impacted our trees. So that we had to have not only some trees trimmed, but a couple of trees taken out. And as we had different arborists come in to give us estimates on this, we knew it was going to be somewhere between the price of a vacation of a lifetime or a slightly used car. But that was okay. You had to do it because sometimes things have to come down or they'll cause more problems later. But it was sad, not just because it affected our shade and our electric bill and our bank account, but the and beauty and the majesty in our backyard, but because it was majestic and over a hundred years old. And we felt like we lost a piece of history, maybe even a piece that if we'd cared better for it, if we'd paid more attention, we might not have had to lose. And so we feel the absence of it. And for a while we felt the absence of it even more than we feel it now because we had this huge stump in the backyard. Now if you can just imagine in your mind, it's been ground down since then, but for a while we had this huge stump, the stump of an over 100-year-old ash tree. And if you can imagine how big that might have been, that's just, that is just a sliver of the size that the kind of the kind of stump Isaiah is referencing in this prophecy. The stump Isaiah is referencing in this prophecy represents the Davidic dynasty, the, the dynasty of David and the kingdom of Israel. It was, it was once majestic. It was once so bright, a bright shining light with so much 
heart and hope and history, but it hadn't been stewarded well. And now, the kingdom of people who were not only under the rule and reign of the line of David, but were also descendants of Abraham, the people who were meant to be a blessing to the whole earth. Now these people who were once this magnificent tree of blessing were being cut down to a stump. And not a stump that you have to keep trimming back year after year. You know it's going to grow wild and grow out, kind of like the kingdom of God. Not, not, not like that but one that is more like that ash tree stump in my backyard. The remnant of something old and beautiful and magnificent, and it was so alive once, but these pests came in like a thief in the night, as Jesus said, almost undetected, eating away at it until it was so dead it was a danger to keep up. We're not talking about the tree in my backyard anymore. So they cut it down and only an inch high of the remnant remained. The dynasty of David was supposed to bring the fruit of God's justice and righteousness and shalom peace to the world, especially to the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized, those who needed the light of God most. But that dynasty had become just another corrupt monarchy, which had about as much value to God and God's kingdom as, as a stump. And this is the state the people of God were in, in Isaiah chapter 11. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the grief and the loss and the fear that they were wrestling with, Isaiah stands up and proclaims in the midst of them all that God still has a plan for this stump. It may look dead. It may appear ready to be completely ground down and rooted up, but Isaiah says hope is not lost. Because at a moment you least expect it, God is going to bring hope from despair. Peace and prosperity from violence. Life from death. A shoot will sprout up from this stump. Branches will begin to grow out of the roots of it. And the children of God called and created and redeemed to bless all the peoples of the earth, now cut down, will once rise again. And they will in the form of a new leader from the line and lineage of David. And make no mistake, Isaiah had some ideas about who this new leader would be. Probably he thought Hezekiah, King Ahaz's son, who did end up being a pretty good leader. And, and maybe, maybe that's who it was, but unless this prophecy is meant to be complete hyperbole, which it could be, but unless it is, neither Isaiah nor his contemporaries would ever see a leader in their lifetime implement the kind of comprehensive peace described in this vision. Now the leader that Isaiah says will sprout up from the dead ground, bring forth justice to the poor and equity to the meek, and is going to implement this kind of justice not with traditional weapons of war, but with the power of his word, his wisdom, his knowledge, his spirit, his reverence, this leader that will one day sprout up will rule and reign without violence. And in fact, will ultimately bring the rule and reign of violence to an end. Now you may remember in the story of Genesis when humanity went 
and began to rebel against God, that the first thing that happened was violence. The sin of violence. Brother Cain killed Brother Abel, the first murder. And then the rippling of that began to move across the peoples and across the centuries. And Isaiah's hearers, these people, had been both participants and recipients in the aftermath of that, and they are now actively being cut down because of it. But Isaiah says, Neither violence, nor oppression, nor any kind of sin or death will ultimately have the last word. Isaiah says that always belongs only to God. And because it does, Isaiah says one day the wolf will live with the lamb in peace. The leopard will lie down with baby goats. Calves and lions will play safely together and a little child shall lead them. One day, Isaiah says... There will be among us a leader who sneakily arrives. We won't notice it in the beginning. Like a branch sprouting from roots, and he will bring forth a rule and reign of peace that will not only cover Israel again, it will cover all of creation. So much so that even predators and prey will find a way to reconcile and live in friendship. It's a beautiful Advent image. One that's meant to prompt us to the time we're supposed to be hoping for most of all now. The season of Advent is, yes, a time of preparation for the celebration of Christmas. We talked about this a little bit at the study on Wednesday night. It's it's a time when we prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. And it is also, and this is what we often miss, meant to be a season of longing for the day when Christ will come again in power with weapons of mass restoration. His Word, His Spirit, His wisdom, His understanding, His mercy, His grace, His love will come and fully and finally rid the world of violence and injustice and poverty and angst and all kinds of heartbreak and hurt that has flowed from the evil of this world into our lives and out of our lives. Advent is meant to prepare us to receive and respond to the Christ who came at Christmas when He comes again in power. The new creation. The new Jerusalem. The new heaven and the new earth. When when heaven comes on earth as it is in heaven... There's this future that God has promised where all of this will happen. And Jesus says, in the midst of his life and ministry, that it's also something we can experience in the present. We saw that a lot in the gospel ministry of Jesus. This future of God being pulled into the present. The future that would permeate all of creation, breaking forth in the present. Karl Barth once said, The church has no other season but Advent. And what he meant by that is not that it's Advent all the time, but that it also sort of is. That the tension of Advent, the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, this living in between what we're hoping for and what we have is where we always live. 
Jesus came first among us over 2,000 years ago, and we still live in a world that is plagued by violence. We still live in a world that is plagued by fear and injustice and poverty. We still live in a world where predators prey off people who seem weaker than them. Isaiah says, when this prophecy comes to its fulfillment in full, the knowledge of God will be as the sea is of water. There will be a day in the future when for all people and all things, knowing God will be like being a fish in a water. That that, that God will be like the air we breathe for all peoples. That the shalom, peace, and presence of God will be like the air we breathe. We still live in a world where this is far from true. And yet, if we're paying attention, and that's also something that Advent is ever calling us to do, to pay attention, we know that we also live in a world where this kind of thing is coming true each and every single day. Now, we don't see that on the news very often. The news that most of us watch and and read is bad news, and that's what sells, right? That's what keeps us fired up and, and, and moving. That's what keeps us tuning in. And maybe that keeps us, to some degree, hoping and longing for God's future. God's future of peace. But it also distracts us. It distracts us from the other truth that Jesus proclaimed in His ministry, that the kingdom of God is near. He said that back then. The kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God is breaking in. The kingdom of God is within your grasp. This kingdom that Isaiah proclaimed, you can have it even now, even as you long for it. So then where where do we see it? Where are the lions lying down with cattle? Where are the wolves living peacefully among the lambs? Well, if we're looking, we can see it all around us and we can be it too. It it happens now and it happened even in the ministry of Jesus. When we look back to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we will see things like economic predators, like tax collectors, following Jesus alongside the fishermen and the farmers and the zealots they had overtaxed and abused with their position of power. We see it specifically in the lives of people like Zacchaeus, the economic predator who abused his position and became rich, but also unleashed a kind of violence on his own people by overtaxing them until one day everything changed. Predator, prey, But one day he he gets in the breathing space of Jesus and his life gets flipped upside down. One day he comes within reach of the hospitality and the love of Jesus. And all of a sudden he finds himself at a dinner party with Jesus and all those he'd been preying upon. Having his heart and life transformed and giving back to them far more than he had taken. Presumably becoming a disciple a follower of Jesus, and a friend. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. When does it happen? 
It's happening all around us. It happened then. God happens. God promises it will happen one day completely and totally for us all. And Jesus says, if we'll learn to see it and be it, it happens among us even now, each and every time the rule and the reign of Jesus is embraced in our lives. And that is the number one way, by the way, we can celebrate Advent. To reorient our lives once again in this season to Jesus. Now that may be difficult for you. You may be here today as someone whose faith has been chopped down by life in one way or another. Your sense of hope, peace, joy, and love has been cut down and maybe even ground down by some form of spiritual or mental or emotional or physical violence that you have had to endure. Perhaps something stark, perhaps something subtle. Whatever reason, the faith just isn't there. It's not there. That sense of life and richness that God wants you to have in your life is not there. It's just gone. It's been chopped down. It feels dead. But Isaiah wants you to know this morning, and Jesus wants you to know this morning, and I want you to know this morning, if that's where you are, if your faith and life feel like they have been ground down to the stump and even covered over by some modern form of concrete, I hope you'll sing this song we're about to sing together as a prayer of longing and promise and hope. Believing that even now God can cause a sapling of faith, a branch of hope and new life and peace to push through the layers of spiritual concrete that have formed over your heart and your mind and your soul. Can you feel it? Even if you can't, the good news is that the God of Advent is trying to break through even now. This is the word of the Lord.